Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You know, horses are interesting because if you look at uh, all of the presidents, they all drove horses until, you know, cars became the most important thing. Yeah. This is Walter Clapp. Uh, like, okay, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> And the horse is urinating, and it definitely just splashed all over my pants. I met him in the parking lot of a strip mall where he was wearing a cowboy hat and sitting inside of a covered wagon being pulled by two horses named Liz and Lynette, who promptly urinated on my pants. This is really good uh, immersive audio. (laughs) He's running for president in 2024. My campaign was meant to actually begin with me driving horses through Yellowstone National Park, but the bureaucrats of Yellowstone uh, put an end to that. Clapp has maybe 600 followers on Twitter. Polling is interesting because uh, it requires that the pollsters put your name in the poll, uh, which presently they have uh, not elected to do. His main campaign issue is opening the cap on the House of Representatives. In other words, he thinks there should be 11,000 representatives instead of the current 435. To be honest with you, I didn't even know this was an issue to care about. But according to Clapp, it's what George Washington would have wanted. You know, one of the things that uncapping the House does is it would allow legislators to replace some of the bureaucrats. So if you took George Washington's formula, we would have approximately 11,000 representatives, which seems like a lot. We currently have 435 pursuant to a law passed in 1929. But you consider we have 2.5 million non-DOD federal bureaucrats, and 11,000 is like one half of 1% of that. So it's actually a relatively small amount. Now, if you're anything like me, you've probably never heard of Walter Roger Clapp until this very moment. But in a way, Clapp might be the perfect symbol for this Republican campaign. This random guy, who no one knows, may well have as decent a chance as any of the seven GOP candidates who took to the stage Wednesday night at the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. That's where I am right now, where I'm coming to you live along with my colleague, Peter Savodnik. Hi, Peter. Hey, Barry. Who's sitting with me here in the now empty spin room as the clock approaches midnight. I'm Barry Weiss. This is Honestly. For now, it's still Wednesday. And I'm coming to you from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library, where we just witnessed the second GOP debate. Welcome to the second Republican debate of the 2024 primary, live from the Ronald Reagan Presidential Library in Simi Valley, California. We're inside the spectacular Air Force One Pavilion, where the stage is set for a showdown. 
Thank you for speaking while I'm interrupting. Literally. While I'm speaking. Literally. You said by painful. If I may It was two hours of, I don't even know what, a hot mess. We know Two hours of Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, and Doug Burgum. I'm sorry, Doug, I still don't get who you are. Sparring over major issues like union strikes, inflation, income inequality, the cost of childcare, the border, drugs, TikTok, gun violence, education, Russia, Ukraine. But of course, the man they really wanted to spar with? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He still refuses to show up and play ball. Donald Trump hides behind the walls of his golf clubs and won't show up here to answer questions like all the rest of us are up here to answer. So while I sat in Simi Valley with seven people trying to play the president, we sent free press reporter Michael Moynihan to Michigan. This is Michael Moynihan in Detroit, and we're here for a Trump rally on the night of the second Republican debate. That- to find out what Trump was saying at the very same time as the GOP debate to a crowd full of striking auto workers. But I'm thrilled to be back with the workers, uh, UAW members, and proud patriots of the great state of Michigan. Great state, great people. Here in Michigan and across the country tonight, there are countless thousands of auto workers. Trump's visit came just one day after President Biden went to the picket line in Wayne County to march with auto workers outside a General Motors plant. You guys, UAW, you saved the automobile industry back in 2008 and before. Made a lot of sacrifices. Gave up a lot. An unprecedented move by a sitting president. Now they're doing incredibly well. And guess what? You should be doing incredibly well, too. So on today's episode, as the two likely 2024 candidates battled this week to portray themselves as the voice of blue-collar Americans, what exactly were the seven candidates on stage here tonight trying to achieve? Why were they hanging out at this shrine to free markets and not marching with auto workers in a place like Michigan? Who were the biggest winners and losers of this very strange tale of two cities? And with nearly 60% of GOP voters backing Trump, has anyone emerged as a viable Trump competitor? Or is it time to face the facts that we're tumbling toward a 2020 rematch between two very old men that no one wants? Stay with us. Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the country? It has more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. Spring has finally arrived, and Fast Growing Trees is here with fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more to liven up your house and your yard. Fast Growing Trees makes it incredibly easy to order online. Your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. 
And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. So you can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. You'll find the perfect fit for your climate and space, all without having to hire a landscaper or to drive around to nurseries in your area. Fast Growing Trees has plant experts to talk about your soil type, landscape design, plant care, and everything else you might need. And this spring, Fast Growing Trees has the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code HONESTLY at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com when you use the code HONESTLY at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code HONESTLY. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Listeners of Honestly have probably heard me talk about Sapir, a quarterly journal edited by my friend and former colleague, Brett Stevens. And for good reason. Sapir is home to thoughtful, heterodox analysis on topics we care a lot about on this show. Foreign policy, domestic policy, education, the Middle East, and much more. With Israel at war and rising anti-Semitism in the West, including at our most elite universities, Sapir is more important than ever. Its current issue, called Friends and Foes, takes a deep, hard look at the people and principles that we can count on to counteract dangerous cultural and political trends near and far, and those that we can't. I recommend Danielle Haas's article on the human rights establishment. Haas was a senior editor at Human Rights Watch for over a decade, and she offers an intimate inside view of how human rights NGOs have lost their way and how far they have strayed from their founding missions. Check that essay out, along with the rest of Sapir's current friends and foes issue, at sapirjournal.org slash honestly. That's S-A-P-I-R journal.org forward slash honestly. Peter, I've never done cocaine, but this seems like an occasion where it would be very, very welcome. It's nearing midnight. Yes. And where are we? Uh, we're at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, about, a, I don't know, 45 minutes north of L.A. The media is clearing out. Uh, it was a bit of a tornado tonight. A uh, maelstrom of media, cameras, uh, reporters, screens, all that. It was a lot of fun. And it's winding down. It's winding down. I think we might be the skeleton crew here. So We are. So we got on this shuttle from the parking lot. Mm-hmm. And it sort of wound up these gorgeous, sun-dappled hills. And what did you say to me when we were on that little bus? Yeah, it felt like a movie set. It felt like a movie it, set. It felt like sort of the Reagan mythology. This is the the America, the California that he evokes in his speeches, his soaring rhetoric. That Reagan, more than any politician of his age, could pull off. And you feel that. You get to the library and you feel like this is a magical place. It felt like a piece of theater. It felt like... One of the movie sets that, you know, Reagan made his name on. And the question, I think, tonight was, were we watching something that was real or were we watching something that felt like it was more produced or or make-believe? Well, I think that is the question that a lot of voters are coming away with tonight. Certainly, and we'll get to this, what we saw in the spin room with people with their sort of caked on makeup, standing in front of soapboxes, creating like a mosh pit around candidates that will easily sit down for a two-hour podcast. All of this is sort of like a vestige from an earlier era that makes absolutely no sense to me as a journalist. But I think the big question that voters have is, was anything that they just watched on television tonight at all relevant? If Donald Trump is polling the way he's polling and Biden is, 
amazingly going to be the nominee, what were they actually tuning in to watch tonight, if not a piece of theater? Yeah, I mean, none of it would make any sense if the voters were really happy, if a large majority of voters were content with their sort of the two front runners and with the, the choices, you know, they're faced with. But the reality is that a very large majority of Americans who tend to agree about nothing these days are agreed on not wanting a 2020 rematch. And so the debate tonight, yes, was very important because what we're looking for, what everyone is looking for is, is there any path, any any world in which we don't go through a Biden-Trump rematch? I don't know if tonight revealed that or... or point of the way forward. But yes, like that's what we're all looking for. It's what we're all wondering. And and it's not just a media story. It's a, a story that, that I think 70, 60, 70 percent of Americans are following closely. I think that we count ourselves in this number, but Absolutely. I think voters of all stripes are just dreading the idea that our choice is going to be between these two old men, between, you know, Biden, who's now 80 Trump, who is 77, and sort of the rematch from hell. And I think the reason that we showed up here tonight as journalists is because, and and frankly, as citizens and voters, is because we're curious if anyone has the ability to step out and sort of catch fire. Did you see that happen tonight? No. I mean, I I think, look, there there are candidates who, you know, who are perfectly competent tonight. I think Ron DeSantis had a better night than he did the the first debate. I think Nikki Haley was the same as she was the last time. She was, you know, again, very competent. I thought, you know, Vivek was a, you know, kinder, gentler Vivek. And the rest were basically forgettable. Okay. So obviously no one broke out in the way (laughs) Ronald Reagan may have on that stage. Right. Let's talk about some of the moments, Peter, that do stick out from the chaos that ensued. And I have to say, I've watched a lot of presidential debates. I think that was the most poorly moderated of any I've ever seen. Yeah, it was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) You're very serious. Okay, let's start with Vivek Ramaswamy. You know, we the last time we were sort of uh, having this late night conversation was at the last uh, Republican presidential debate in August. The piece that we published the day after that debate was Knives Out for Vivek was the headline. (laughs) He sort of emerged as the front runner. And there was a big debate sort of in our company Slack that night between people who felt he was the out and out winner of the debate and those who felt, okay, maybe he had a lot of great lines, but he just came across as like a bit of an ass. Mm-hmm. Tonight, we saw a very different Vivek. Talk yeah. to me about that. Clearly, the Ramaswamy campaign agreed with the latter take. They clearly thought that he came across poorly in the last debate, which is why they, they obviously toned things down a lot tonight. And, you know, maybe maybe that, that works. I don't know. He was less punchy, less irreverent, less, you know, combative. And maybe he was trying to invoke that kind of Reagan-esque flavor or, or tone, that kind of more soaring rhetoric, that, you know, statesman-like, you know, sort of appeal. I don't know that he captured that. I thought the, the best line he had was was that very introspective moment when he, he said, you know, I, I realize I'm, I'm viewed as a know-it-all. I'm not actually... What do you see? You see a young man who's in a bit of a hurry, maybe a little ambitious, bit of a know-it-all, it seems, at times. I'm here to tell you, no, I don't know it all. I will listen. I will have the best people, the best and brightest in this country, whatever age they are, advising me. We will be probably many of the people on this stage included. That's how I built my companies. I want to be challenged. I want people who disagree with me. That's what makes America great, because we're not a perfect TikTok nation. Is- we're founded on and the I think. One of the most interesting moments this evening was when he he was more 
introspective, more self-aware, and tried to portray himself as a newcomer who was, you know, much more respectful of his fellow Republicans. I think that one thing Donald Trump has shown is that Republican voters, especially the base, want a fighter. And perhaps Vivek's negatives will be slightly less negative after tonight's debate. But I'm not sure if it was the, you know, time will tell if that was actually a smart pivot for him. If there was one breakout line from the night, we know that Chris Christie really wanted it to be that incredibly rehearsed line about calling Donald Trump Donald Duck, which I have to say landed like a lead balloon, uh, even in the press room, certainly not a room of Trump fans. And I want to look at that camera right now and tell you, Donald, I know you're watching. You can't help yourself. I know you're watching. Okay. And you're not here tonight. Not because of polls and not because of your indictments. You're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record. You're ducking these things. And let me tell you what's going to happen. You keep doing that, no one up here is going to call you Donald Trump anymore. We're going to call you Donald Duck. All right. I think the the actual line that might be remembered, if any, was Nikki Haley saying to Vivek. I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say, hmm. because I can't believe you know, they hear you. Honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber and the kind of she drew blood yet again in the way that she did after the first debate. Let's talk a little bit about that moment. Yeah, I love that moment. I mean, I, I, I think in general, Haley's had like a very strong run. I don't know if that's going to catapult her into, you know, a serious position. But look, she, I think she did a very good job again tonight. What I liked about it was I think she very subtly underscored or underlined his relative youth and inexperience while not actually calling it out. And I think what was smart about that line was that it came in the middle of this this exchange about TikTok, which is really an exchange about foreign policy since TikTok is, is you know, this Chinese-run social media platform. And it gave Haley a chance, again, to demonstrate her, her foreign policy credentials. And then to subtly, or not so subtly, put this distance between her and the and the much younger Ramaswamy. All right, let's talk about Chris Christie. Yeah, poor Chris Christie. Okay, right. The former New Jersey governor, his entire campaign is based on the idea of prosecuting the former president. But it turns out, Peter, that that is very hard to do when that person is not on stage with you. It's really tough to like do battle with like an invisible foe, who's actually really not a foe since he's like ahead of Christie by something like 60 points or something. Yeah, I mean, Christie desperately wants to go mana y mana with uh, the former president. And Trump is, you know, I think gleefully denying him that opportunity. You know, and the bigger problem I think that, that Christie faces is you can't win over Trump voters by just hammering away compulsively at Trump. You, you have to make the case that you're a better way forward, but you can't demean Trump to the point that any Trump voter feels kind of by extension demeaned. And I, I think that's the cul-de-sac he's run into. I generally think Chris Christie has been a very clever candidate. I think he's funny. I don't know what he was thinking with the Donald Duck line. It was cringe. But I have to say he was out cringed tonight by former Vice President Mike Pence. My skin is crawling when I'm thinking about this moment. Okay, so Chris Christie tried to knock Biden for sleeping with an avatar of the teachers union. And it took a moment for that to land Christie meant just Jill Biden, his wife. And when you have the president of the United States sleeping with a member of the teachers union. And then sort of like in a delayed response, um, Mike Pence said. My wife uh, isn't a member of the teachers union, but I got to admit, I'm 
I've been sleeping with a teacher for 38 years. And um, so full disclosure. Peter, what was that? It was, it was one awkward moment followed by another awkward moment. Um, oh. And it was, it, was, it was a reminder that this is the guy who refers to his, his wife as mother and, <laughs> and <laughs> isn't, isn't allowed to be in a room alone with, a, with another woman, you know, lest he, you know, lose control of himself. So, look, at this point, I think, like, you know, no one in America actually wants Mike Pence to run for president, except maybe Mike Pence. Uh, and I think, but you he, don't even get the sense that he wants it that bad. No, he doesn't. He looks unwell. Actually, he looks tired and spent. And look, he's in an impossible position, right? He he has to distance himself from Trump while at the same time reminding people that he was Trump's vice president, and at the same time sound like a social conservative in a country, in a party even, that seems much less interested in the issues that used to animate social conservatives, starting with abortion. I, I just, I don't, I don't see any viable path for the former vice president. And, and, and I actually think that like, you know, like Walter Clapp is a better shot at this point <laughs> than, than, than Mike Pence. All right, let's talk about the strong horse, such as it is, uh, still dozens and dozens of points behind uh, the front runner. Donald Trump, and that's Ron DeSantis, yeah. right? The story going into tonight's debate, and this has been a sort of brewing story for a while, is that a lot of powerful donors inside the GOP believe that Ron DeSantis was the guy who was going to unseat Trump, poured a ton of money into his campaign, and whoops, didn't seem to be a bet that paid off well. Did Ron DeSantis recover? Does he live to see another day based on tonight? Uh, yeah, I think I think tonight was... A good night for for Ron DeSantis, and if if anyone can claim victory tonight, it's the Florida governor. I think that he did come across as as very competent. He does have a, a really strong record to run on, and we shouldn't forget that the super PAC that is supporting DeSantis has a lot of money. So he's going to be in this for a long time. There's no reason to think that he's going to bow out before South Carolina. Peter, if you're anything like me. You think that Kate McKinnon's impression of Kellyanne Conway on <laughs> SNL was all you really need to know about Kellyanne Conway. But tonight I met her for the first time in person and I asked her, you know, you know, she's a political animal. You know, was was anyone sort of a breakout star? Here's what she said. I think anybody on the stage tonight would do a better job than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. The question is, what did they do to cut into Donald Trump's lead? Anything. He's like a hologram hovering over the whole place, doesn't even need to be here. Probably not. I think they're all trying to make a moment. They're trying to be funny, reach for the rafters, get a big headline. But that's not the way you overtake a 40-point lead, and that's not the way you solve the very vexing, perplexing issues of a broken nation. I also found myself face-to-face with Carrie Lake, who is an election denier sort of two times over. She's an election denier of 2020, and she's an election denier of her own election. So I can't really think of much that I agree with Carrie Lake on. And yet I found myself face-to-face with her as she said what we saw tonight was a JV debate. We came down here to talk to, to the media, and hopefully they'll, they'll cover it for what it was, which was a D-list debate with a bunch of people who are taking part in a vanity project. And if they really love America, if they really love America, they'll realize we need to jump behind President Trump now as Americans, as Republicans, frankly, as independents as well. Get behind President Trump so we can turn this country around. One thing that just struck me as being so emblematic of the divide between sort of the historic Republican Party and the current political realignment is the fact that the two frontrunners, you know, were spending their time this week trying to 
outvie each other to prove to Americans and especially blue-collar voters that they are the beacon, that they are the right candidate for the working class, right? And we, of course, saw that with Biden showing up to the UAW thing. We saw that Trump in his decision to be in Michigan tonight. And yet, where was the Republican debate? (laughs) It was at the Reagan presidential library. And you had this very strange, very 2023 moment of Vivek Ramaswamy hitting out against Jack Welsh, who listeners will remember, took over GE the same year, 1981, that Ronald Reagan took the White House and sort of applied these free market principles, some would call it union busting, we'll leave it for listeners to decide, and sort of lamenting the way that his father languished at GE under Jack Welsh. I'll say that I don't have a lot of patience for the union bosses. I think that's where he and I actually have a common view. I do have a lot of sympathy for the workers, however. People are going through real hardship in this country. I've been through hardship growing up. My father stared down layoffs at GE under Jack Welch's tenure at the GE plant in Evendale, Ohio. My mom had to work overtime in nursing homes in Southwest Ohio to make ends meet and pay off our home loan. So I understand that hardship is not a choice. But victimhood is a choice, and we choose to be victorious in the United States of America. You know what, if I was giving advice to those workers, I would say go picket in front of the White House in Washington, D.C. That's really where the protest needs to be. Disastrous economic policies. And I just watched that and thought to myself, this never would have happened on a Republican presidential debate stage even a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, that moment, I think, perfectly captured the tension. So on the one hand, all of them, including Ramaswamy, are paying homage to Reagan. At the same time, Ramaswamy is is lashing out at Jack Welch, who really is sort of the, the living embodiment of Reaganomics, right? He's he's the guy who, who lives it, breathes it, loves talking about sort of the creative destruction of markets, is a frequent, was a frequent contributor to the Wall Street Journal op-ed page, just loved sort of the whole Reagan ethos deeply. And I think it captured sort of this this bind that they found themselves in with, on the one hand, wanting to, you know, they still feel, all Republicans still feel the need to bow down, to genuflect before Reagan, at the same time, remain cognizant of the fact that Donald Trump in 2016 shifted that paradigm. And I I don't know that, I was, I was actually, I should say, I was surprised by Ramaswamy's tone tonight because I thought that Trump doesn't bother with those kinds of pleasantries. And I think that's because he gets that the Republican base is is no longer enamored of Reagan. Ramaswamy tried to have it both ways, which was surprising. I asked him in the spin room if he was a Reaganite after the debate. How are you? It's really nice to meet you. Can I ask you a few questions? Sure. Is it like camera or just? No, just audio. Vivek, we're here at the Reagan Presidential Library. Yeah. You're speaking very in very florid terms about Ronald Reagan. I wanted to ask you if you identify as a Reaganite, because tonight on stage you talked about how your father sort of languished under Jack Welsh's rule of GE. Obviously, he was a union buster like Reagan. So how do you square Ronald Reagan's sort of free market policies with your America first economic policies? Yeah, so I think the spirit of Reagan that I think is most inspiring to me is that he did challenge orthodoxies in both parties in his era to do what was needed. But actually, you think about America as a long arc of history. Let's go back to my favorite Republican of all time, Abraham Lincoln. What did he say? I think it was 1863, height of the Civil War. The dogmas of a quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. Reagan did not just parrot slogans. He memorized from 40 years before him. 
And so I think the dogmas of 1980 are inadequate to address the unique challenges we face in 2023. But that doesn't mean we can't learn from the people who came from us to actually channel that same spirit. The, the, some of the threats to liberty today aren't just through Congress and traditional legislative big government. It's first of all the administrative state, a fourth branch that's bigger now than it was then. It's a merger of private power and state power that together do what neither can alone. That's different than the challenge that Reagan faced. I don't think Ronald Reagan today would be parroting Ronald Reagan's slogans, even though many people who think of themselves as Reaganites are. Think about communist China. The USSR doesn't exist anymore, something a fact that people forget sometimes. Communist China, I say the same thing to them that Reagan said to the USSR. My strategy is we win, they lose. That's my strategy to the Communist Chinese Party. We win, they lose. But here's the difference. We never depended on the USSR for the shoes on our feet, the phones in our pockets, the pills that we take, the defense, the F-35s that we build, the semiconductors, the power, this camera that's recording us right now. We never depended on the USSR in that way. So that's a unique challenge today. And so I think I'm the candidate to first unite this Republican Party and then use that as a springboard to unite the rest of this country. Partly because I don't even see the real divide in this country as being between Republicans and Democrats. I alluded to that several times tonight. I think the divides in this country, you could divide them up a lot of different ways. I think there's the managerial class versus the everyday citizen. I think there is the pro-American movement in this country that transcends partisan politics. And then I think there's a fringe minority that has much of the Democrat Party held hostage, even though the rest, much of the Democrat Party doesn't agree with it that it's fundamentally anti-American at its core. But those are the real ways we have to see the actual national divide. And I think you need a commander in chief who gets that rather than just parroting poll-tested slogans against Biden or parroting slogans memorized from 1980. Donald Trump showed that you don't need to play by the rules to catch lightning in a bottle and win. And I look at someone like Vivek who talks a big game about not playing by the rules and doing things his own way. And yet he's sort of like playing the part. Right. And I wonder what it would look like for one of these people to say, no, I'm not doing it that way and just do something kind of radically different. Right. That would have been, I think, like a, a smart move. Like it, it, it's odd to me that, you know, somebody who has literally nothing to lose, like a Chris Christie uh, mm -hmm. or, or God, a Mike Pence or any of these guys. I mean, just to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to see me valley tonight I'm, I'm not going to try to like give a speech in the shadow of the former president but i am going to do something bold and, and again forward-looking and i'm going to try to articulate a vision and, and it may be that look like the, the sad reality may be that that none of the people on stage tonight that no one running including trump and biden has the capacity for that kind of vision or leadership and that what we're suffering through is just this protracted moment of leaderlessness in America. We've got leaders, people who can get votes, raise money and all that, but don't know how to build the new politics, do not have any clue about or any desire to chart a new vision, even though that's that's so obviously what, what a large majority of Americans crave. Michael Moynihan reports from Michigan right after the break. We'll be right back.
Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America? It has more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers. Spring is right around the corner, and Fast Growing Trees is here with fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more to liven up your house and your yard. Fast Growing Trees makes it very easy to order online. Your plants are shipped to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. So you can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home. You'll find the perfect fit for your climate and space, all without having to hire a landscaper or drive around to nurseries in your area. Fast Growing Trees has plant experts to talk about your soil type, landscape design, plant care, and anything else you might need. And this spring, Fast Growing Trees has the best deals online. They're offering up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use the code HONESTLY at checkout. Again, that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com when you use the code HONESTLY at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code HONESTLY. This offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Last night, I went to Detroit. This is Michael Moynihan in Detroit to a room full of plumbers, pipe fitters, electricians, and supposedly some auto workers on strike who support Trump, not Biden. And we're here for a Trump rally on the night of the second Republican debate that Trump has skipped uh, in favor of speaking to UAW workers, union workers here in Detroit who are on strike. So Trump is speaking on a kind of factory floor at Drake Industries, which is a non-union shop. And they make components for various automakers, including non-American automakers. But he's hoping to draw union people into the shop, which is, again, not a union shop. It's a very, very sort of pointed place to actually have a speech. Joe Biden came yesterday and spoke, and the first American president to ever speak on a picket line spoke to UAW workers. The head of the UAW is very strongly pro-Joe Biden. So we're here to talk to union workers who are bucking their union and actually supporting Donald Trump. What's up? Tell me about the hat. What's that? Tell me about the hat. We're in a crisis, man. (laughs) The crisis? The crisis? Yeah. Biden's the crisis. And everyone that's been in politics for the last, I don't know, my whole life, I'm 32. Probably 100 years, yeah. You can keep going, you know. But those union auto workers were pretty hard to find. Do you work in the auto industry? No. But you're a union guy? Yeah. Did you work in the auto industry by any chance? 
No, I have not. No. Okay. Mm -mm. Are you? You're not in the auto industry, are you? I am not auto workers. Okay. Close. In no, there. but I have bought an American-made car. Okay. Instead, I talked with a lot of non-union workers, like this guy named Tyler. The head of the UAW says, this guy's yeah. a billionaire, he hates workers, you're a worker. Well, he doesn't look at the last couple decades, obviously, you know, and what's been going on. And there's obviously money just going around in a circle, yeah. you know. And what do you think the biggest problem is right now? What's the thing that, that animates you more than anything else? I would just say just pressure, honestly. It just feels like pressure. Um, I feel like I've watched Trump get shit on for four years, yeah. you know, even more before that. Yeah. And uh, you can see the double standards, the zero accountability, and it's just, it's, it's pressure, you know, it's like so, mental pressure. So and some non-auto industry workers too. Sean is in a union. Uh, Sean. Sean, you know the last name. And you're, are you from Elginac too? Actually, but he doesn't like it much. You're a union worker who hates the union. Kind of, yeah, pretty yeah. much. They've done nothing for you? I don't feel like it. And they take a chunk of your paycheck? Yeah. Yeah. Every week. Yeah. I could buy about, well, before inflation, I could buy five Tim Hortons coffees a week with that. So you measure, <laughs> you measure presidential success by Tim Hortons coffees? Uh, it's very Canadian of you, by the way. Everyone I spoke to was unanimous in the opinion that Biden is taking the country in the wrong direction. So Biden comes here yesterday, right? Joins the picket out. He says union people vote for Democrats, right? I mean, if you're a union guy, he says you should vote for Democrats, right? Um, definitely probably voting red. Who did you vote for last time around? Uh, last time I did not vote, so did this time I am going to. So <laughs> what got you so amped up to vote this time? And to come out here to see Donald Trump? Uh, I don't know, this is the first time in my life I've like been more paycheck to paycheck, I guess, or maybe bank fees and shit like that, so. So the past four years have not been good to you economically? No, not necessarily. Yeah. So. Like and that the Republican Party is now the party of the working class. Not like Trump's four years, <laughs> you know. So tell me about that. Bought a car, got engaged, had a kid, you know. All during Trump's time. I'm not going to give him all the credit, but yeah. still it's, you know. <laughs> yeah. I met a woman named Beverly who had no ticket to the event but showed up anyway. Are you going into the rally tonight? No, I don't think we can. So, oh, you didn't have to, you didn't get tickets? Yeah. Um, so why did you come? Just to support Trump? Absolutely. Be outside? Yep. And you, did you come by yourself? Yes, I did to wave a large flag declaring Michigan Trump country. She's always been a Republican, but says she likes the Trump Republican Party much more than the so-called globalist Bush Republicans of the past. Do you like this Republican Party more than the Republican Party of George Bush and, you know, Marco yes. Rubio, the people that Trump oh, calls rhinos? What's the difference to you? Why do you like this one better? Because um, we are America first. The Bushes were globalists. They still are. And I'm not a globalist. Was that a I'm word really... that you used before Trump, or did oh, Trump kind of enlighten you to no, that? No, no, Bush himself talked yeah. about uh, New World Order. Mm -hmm. And I never liked that. Yeah. But I didn't have a choice. You know? So you're not going to be watching the debate tonight? Oh, I might. I might check it out for a little bit. Just what do you think see. of all those other candidates running against Trump? They got no chance. Yeah. They don't have a chance. I met a woman wearing a t-shirt with Trump's mugshot on it. There were so many people that thought when the Trump mugshot happened, that it was like, oh, it's gonna be everywhere, it's gonna be a humiliation. I see it on posters here, I see it on your shirt. He's, he's you good. You love that. He's good, yeah. You, so the, the mugshot is a positive thing for you? 
Yep. They're not going to take him down. No. So you think all the charges against him, that's people I trying to get all, rid of Trump? They're all, they're not real charges. I mean, it's ridiculous. Who says she misses the Trump years. What was the difference, the big difference for you? Everyone was proud to be American. Now everyone's all, all Trump that and Trump this, and they're all sensitive. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So, you know, when everyone was proud to be an American. When I finally got into the plant, the place is pretty packed, but it's a pretty small venue. Of all the Trump rallies I've been to, this is by far the smallest. It's on the shop floor of a manufacturing company called Drake, a non-union shop here in Michigan that makes auto parts for various auto parts manufacturers. And this is supposed to be union members for Trump. And apparently union members were canvassed and asked to come here and given tickets for anyone else. And uh, they're all kind of milling about, waiting for the main event. And uh, it is decidedly smaller than normal. And a lot calmer than normal, I have to say. And a lot older than normal. I talked to some more dyed-in-the-wool Trump supporters, like Chipper. Oh, okay. So I'm a Trump supporter. You're a Trump supporter, yeah. but you have friends that are at UAW. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, quite a few. Because, I, you know, because yesterday Joe Biden was here. You were pretty psyched about that, I'm sure. So I heard, yeah. He's not welcome as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I. What, do you work in the auto industry, though? No. You know. No. I'm an auto fanatic, though. Yeah. Okay. I make rat, rat rods, hot rods, customs. Oh. Yeah, I'm semi-retired, totally, and... Uh, so the inflation, things like that, haven't hit you? You know, I, I was raised to understand making a living long-term, not relying on Social Security or the government. So... I just always had my ducks in a row, but I hate spending the cost of everything, of course. I mean, it affects, but it's not like I can't afford it, but I just hate to pay some of the prices, and they're still going up. Are you a conservative? You know, I used to be a Democrat, and, and I guess it was through not really knowing enough about politics. When did that stop? Uh, that stopped uh, pretty much when Obama got in. I voted him for him for the first time, thinking that he's going to really make a great change, but he didn't do anything he said he was going to do, I don't think. So did you vote for, for Trump the first time around? Yeah. 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 Well, how do you think he did? I think he did fantastic. I mean, come on, the lowest unemployment rate in how many years? You know, and not to bring the racial card out, but the blacks were happy, the whites were happy, the Hispanics were happy, everybody was happy. Even the whole border wall was being built. And then, a little after 8 p.m., Trump came on stage. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the next president of the United States of America, President Donald J. Trump. room where we wanted to keep it small and outside we have thousands and thousands of people. Have you seen what's going on out there? 
I'll be generous and estimate the crowd at around 100 people. So let me say to every UAW member and skilled workers all across our nation, Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, and their political cronies, cease to serve your interests a long time ago. They don't care about you. I mean, he came here yesterday. What did he have? Nine people, right? Nine. We have 9,000 people outside. Again, really, there were about 100 people. And that's because they didn't know we were coming. They didn't even know we were coming. They just found out. In reality, they don't represent you. They represent a deep state bureaucracy, a global financial class, and a political class that have taken control of this country for their own enrichment and self-purposes, stealing your wealth and stealing your labor while shipping off our best and brightest to die in expensive, exotic... You know, it was a unique Trump rally in the sense that Donald Trump talked almost exclusively about cars, electric vehicles. Joe Biden and the UAW's political leadership talk about a fair transition to all electric cars. American labor will be under siege. It's not going to work for you. It can't work. Unions, the UAW, union negotiations. By most estimates, under Biden's electric vehicle mandate, 40 percent of all U.S. auto jobs will disappear. Think of this in one or two years. Think one or two years. That's what you have to be talking about, not you're going to get X dollars an hour. It doesn't matter what the hell you're getting an hour. Do me a favor. Just get your union guys, your leaders, to endorse me. Okay? And I'll take care of the rest. And it's an interesting thing because it's very, very different than any other... Republican conservative rally that I've ever seen in the past because you have someone up on stage essentially making left-wing economic arguments. That's why I'm here tonight to lay out a vision for a revival of economic nationalism and our automobile manufacturing lifeblood which they're sucking out of our country. Arguments that the unions are the, the backbone of this country, they need to be paid more. A future that puts American dreams over foreign profits, and a future that raises American wages, that strengthens American industry, that builds national pride, and that defends this country's dignity, not squanders it all to build up foreign countries that hate us that we have to shut off all trade to other countries and prevent Chinese cars. Look at the money he got from China. Look at what's coming out, China. Crooked Joe backed NAFTA. He backed China's entry into the World Trade Organization. He backed the horrendous trans... Chinese manufacturing, Chinese batteries from coming into this country. He's selling you out to China. He's selling you out to the environmental extremists on the radical left. People have no idea how bad this is going to be also for the environment. You know, those batteries, when they get rid of them and lots of bad things happen, and when they're digging it out of the ground to make those batteries. And, you know, I mean, this is the Republican Party of 2024, and there's literally no one that can wrest it from Donald Trump's hands. I'll give you the return of the United States of America as the greatest and strongest industrial nation in the history of the world. Together, we will dismantle the corrupt power structure that has feasted on the suffering of the American auto worker. And the thing about the Republican Party now is it's a party of extreme economic populism. And, you know, the people that you talk to here 
love that kind of talk. They believe that the economy can be saved by preventing trade, by putting walls up around this country to prevent both immigrants and trade. And they also believe in a lot of conspiracy theories. When you tell someone here that they're a conspiracy theorist or something they believe is a conspiracy theory, they say, no, 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 it's facts. We're doing an end run around the traditional media. Um, usually then they make a barbed attack on you as being the traditional media. But keep in mind, what you get at a Trump rally is people who are committed. These are people, these are not persuadable voters. These are people who made up their mind in 2016 and they've never turned back. And nothing that Donald Trump does, no amount of indictments, no amount of criminal proceedings can change their mind about this. They are very, very committed voters. I've been to a number of these rallies since Trump announced in 2015. And amongst the old-school conservatives, economic populists, and anti-globalists, one is never surprised to find the occasional belligerent anti-Semite. Who are you? Uh, the Free Press? Not Detroit. No, 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 not Detroit Free Press. Not Detroit. Barry Weiss's Free Press. Barry Weiss? Yeah, yeah. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> when I told this guy I worked for someone with the last name Weiss, he asked me where my yarmulke was. Where's your yarmulke? Oh, well, yeah, I guess that would be. Wow. Okay, but we, but you thought about it tonight? About what? About what, what, what you thought? No, Did you enjoy no, it? No, 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 no. no. I, don't tr I don't trust you guys. I don't trust you guys. I'm sorry. Well, who do you trust then? Nobody anymore. All right. <laughs> I get it. That's Nobody. I mean, how am I supposed to trust any of you guys? I'm sorry. You got Fox News. Oh, we're conservative media. And Fox News is like, hey. Who do you watch then? Who do I watch? Yeah. Like, where do you get your media? Nothing. NJF. NJ, NJP? Spay it out. Spell it out. What? NF. Nick. Who? Oh, Nick, Nick fucking Fuentes. Yeah. I didn't say. Nick Fuentes is the shit. At the very end of the night, I finally found a Trump-supporting member of the UAW willing to talk to me. Are you yes. UAW? Uh, yeah, She's UAW. UAW. <laughs> what did you think? I, I, you know, I love Trump, okay? And I have been supporting him for years, and... She wouldn't give us her name. Biden comes down the picket line. What did you think That's about that? That's what we heard on, on Facebook that Biden's the one. I'm going, no, not for me. I would say most of the people that I know where I work, most of us are Trump supporters. But most of them don't want to speak out about it either. So what do you think about the leadership who's making, saying Trump's a billionaire and he's a guy that's you know, not on your side, he's not for the working class, he's a rich guy. When you hear your union leader say that, what do you think? Oh, that. I think they need to wake up and do some research and find out what Trump is really about. He's one of the few politicians that are not making money by being in political office. Mm -hmm. Actually, he's going broke, or not broke, but he's losing money yeah. the longer he stays in office because he's working to restore America to its greatness. It is a great country, or, or the founding principles of it, they're great, but it's being sold out by politicians. Are you a UAW person yourself? I'm actually not. No, no. I, I do work for the government, though. Uh, well, I won't, give, I won't hold it against you. Um, <laughs> um, the question that I was thinking about UAW people when I was sitting in the audience, when he said, if they, if they endorse me, they're going to have an easy time. But if they don't endorse me, they're going to have a hard time. What did you think about that? If they don't endorse Trump, we probably won't have a place to work. Right, it just, well, I know that uh, 
I know they endorse the, the EV, you know, the, the truck. And I hate to say this, but I do know that thing's not selling. So that whole turn to electric vehicles, you think is a stupid idea, a pointless idea? In a way. No, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. Yeah. So, do you mind me asking me what you do at the plant? I work on the assembly line. You work on the assembly line? Yeah, yeah. So a long time ago, like when all these robots came in, did you fear that your job was gonna go away? Um, I don't fear my job. You know, I got enough time in there. I don't fear my job's gonna go away. Yeah, yeah. Are you a conservative? Are you a Republican? Or are you just a Trump voter? I'm a conservative. I'm you a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've uh, always been one. Yes, and definitely a Trump supporter. Yeah. So was it the UAW invited you to come? Yeah, well, I'm on, uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Auto Workers for Trump Facebook page. Oh, okay. And we got invited through through that. Does that so. cause any problems at work when people are like very much, you know, Biden supporters, very much with the union on their stance? No, I wear my I wear my Trump shirts to work, and I <laughs> no and I, I got a hat that says I'm a Trump girl. Get over it. So. <laughs> really? Oh yeah. No, people don't give a shit about that. No. I don't care if they do. It's freedom of speech, you know. <laughs> freedom to express myself. The people I spoke to in Michigan had a pretty standard slate of concerns. Wages, immigration, inflation, factories moving overseas. But the thing that no one was concerned about? The seven also ran Republicans debating at the Reagan Library. Because the MAGA base in Detroit knows that Trump has already won the nomination. Everything else is a needless sideshow. So maybe it's time for the rest of us to accept this pretty obvious fact. No indictment, no mugshot, no scathing MSNBC segment can wrest control of the Republican Party from Donald Trump. Thanks for listening, and thanks especially to Peter Savodnik and Michael Moynihan for staying up late and joining me on today's episode, which was a real blast to make with my colleagues. I was struck being in the spin room after the debate, sort of about the mission of why we're doing what we're doing. We don't want to tell you what you expect to hear. We want to surprise you. We want to provoke you. Most of all, we want to do fearless, honest, independent journalism. So if you believe in that, if you like what we're doing here on Honestly, there's just one way to support us. It's by going to the Free Press's website, by going to vfp.com and becoming a subscriber today. Signing off here in Simi Valley. We'll see you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.